Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. Today, we're talking about change. We hear a lot of people talk about navigating change and we hear a lot of people talk about staying true to systems, but we don't hear a whole lot about when to do which. Coach Drew Lee takes us through some great business examples from SeaWorld, Amazon, Blockbuster, and a few others to demonstrate the power of skeptics on your team. Also, stick around to the end for a coaching question that, well, for your own personal growth, I hope steps on your toes as much as it did mine. Welcome to the Leaderverse. So I, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about after coming back from a conference is what does transition look like? And leadership, I think one of our, the, the constant in leadership, and I think everybody can relate to this. And man, I love some of the feedback that we're getting on our, our Facebook page. And we need to offer more offerings because in a 20 to 30 minute podcast, we're not going to hit it all. But one of the things I think in leadership that we don't talk a lot about is the constant of change. That And when do I change because I need to change? And when do I resist change? Because no, the status quo is what we do. This is our system. Have a nice life. And I think that dance is the lead. I hear people talk about navigating change and I hear people about staying true to your systems. I don't hear people talking about when do you do which, <laughs> right, Drew? Yeah. Right. And how does a leader know, okay, it's time to pivot and change, which pivot is the word for change. Uh, mm -hmm. How do we know when's what and what? How do I know that my business is failing because I'm not executing my current system or my business is failing because I need to just transform it and change it? That's a tough conversation. It's a, it's a huge conversation. And it's, and it's, and there is no specific answer because it's, no, I'm, you're the master coach. You're supposed to have the answer to this one, Drew. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you an example though. So my family and I, we just went, um, we just went down to Orlando for the weekend and we went to SeaWorld. And I was reading, you know, I was reading about SeaWorld. I was curious, you know, what does the ownership look like these days? Because I knew it was at one point in time, it was bought by the Anheuser-Busch Corporation. Then Anheuser-Busch sold to a, to a Belgian uh, company. And I was wondering, I was like, does that company still own, you know, own SeaWorld? So I was reading the history and and they they address the the fact that, you know, um, the orcas and and the the animal treatment was unpopular, and there was a documentary called uh, Blackfish, and I watched it like in horror as most people, and probably at that moment I will never support that 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 place again. It's an evil empire, and they've made changes and they've they've really fought for, uh, or at least they put on a great a great uh, public image campaign on what they're doing to help yes. save animals and um protect animals and protect the ecology and and um all of those things and at the same time as a leader they had to question do we just like let them all go and of course i'm being facetious but do we shut this down is this the end for us what do we do this is what got us here and now do we just completely change things mm -hmm. and to some degree you've got to wait out and see is this a blip in a market is this is this change is this bad publicity are we just having a moment right and you know subsequently they've they they've seemed to do really really well now i mean there was there was a lot of people there i can tell you that but they had to have analyzed 
what do we need to do? And they made some changes that then in turn seems like they're, you know, on the, on the upswing. Yeah. So I would have loved to be a fly on that wall because I, I feel this, I actually feel this tension right now. in a lot of the businesses I'm involved with, you know, you see the movies like stay the course or hold, 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 don't move, stay the course, stay the course. And so yes. we're ruggedly determined to our system that has worked. And then I see the innovator's dilemma, like, oh my goodness, well, change is the only constant and the people who aren't changing are dying. And so if you have a little bit of ADD, like some of us on this particular podcast may or may not, uh, just admit, well, I like to change things. And so I, I this is what I was confronted with this week, uh, Jesse. I, I was listening to a video and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I tend to start things so that I could use the excuse of, wow, I'm so busy. And that's the reason why this thing, previous thing is failing. So it's like, so what part of it is my need to change and not be bored? And what part of it is I need to change and change now? And, you know, we're we're associated with a bunch of people who like to change and who like to pioneer. And and I, I've got friends, Drew, that say, gosh, I in any change, I don't want to be the first one through the door because the first one through the door gets bloodied. And I get that. I, I, I totally understand that. But at some point, every leader that's on this call has to change. Yeah. And every leader on this call says, no, we are not going to change. We're staking our flag on this. And I think the leaders who succeed at the highest level, they, we've, we need to figure out a system of how do I know, how do I analyze when's change necessitated and when I st stay the course. That's yes, a yes. big conversation. What's fascinating is when someone takes your business model, what you do, what you do exceptionally well, they tweak it oh, yeah. and, and then they take off with it to yeah. the point where your business can no longer catch up. And that's what we've got to be mindful of as, as business owners. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, I had this, this really rare moment in time where I ended up on an airplane sitting next to uh, one of the, the, one of the former COO or uh, sorry, CFOs of uh, Blockbuster. And when he oh, wow. said what he did, he worked for a international light fixture company as their financial, as their uh, CFO and chief financial officer. I'll get it right eventually. And <laughs> for those that don't know, I was like, what is this acronym? Um, he was their chief financial officer. And I said, you know, I was like, okay, by the way, this flight's going to be really uncomfortable for you now because you're on 60 minutes and I'm just going to turn this into a docuseries. Uh, <laughs> and I just started bombarding him with questions. I don't think I got his permission. I don't recall. <laughs> and, in the, and in that process, it's I was like, so tell me your version. What happened with Blockbuster and Netflix? And he said, we looked at them and we looked at them. They didn't even have a million subscribers. They were by basically a box store. They were attempting to be what we were when they went to this streaming idea. The technology wasn't fast enough. No one's going to sit there for, you know, six hours buffering to watch a two hour movie. So it's not a big deal. And then we went back to work and we were looking at entering into partnerships with Radio Shack. Another company does, <laughs> yeah. But they, they had this idea of, you know what, hey, the, the, we're a struggling company, but, you know, people are always going to have a need for a cord or for, you know, an antenna or, you know, electronics. So we'll put a Radio Shack in every blockbuster in the world. We've got, we've got the box stores. We'll also put a Papa John's and we'll, we'll form this partnership with Papa John's. And we will have these partnerships. So you go get your pizza, you get your movie. If you get, if you need electronics, you get them all there. And when we lifted our head up, Netflix was so far ahead that the rest is history. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. You, you do such a good job painting the picture of where the leader is at that decision moment, the what do we do moment, that I'm thinking it must take outside perspective to help you analyze that. Like within your own company and your own team of leaders around you, you you've been staying the course, staying the course, staying the course, and you essentially have built these blinders around you for focus. And it's so it's almost as if when you're at those giant tower moments of decision, do I tear it all down? Do I completely change yeah. course if I stay? I need like an outside consultant company, somebody that's done something yeah. different than me to come in and say different perspective. But but you know, well, so you, just, you just pitched me on Blockbuster. Had Blockbuster come to us back in those days with the six hour buffering time of Netflix, they're mailing me CDs. They're trying to get into brick and mortar. I own brick and mortar and say, hey, here's our innovation. We're going to put a Radio Shack and a Papa John's in our stores to drive even more traffic to our brick and mortar. I'm like, that's brilliant. And outside, here's the here's the challenge. And I think this is why visionaries are called visionaries. Outside voices may not have that vision because that I can be sold. That that what Drew just pitched me, that Blockbuster CFO who's got the world's easiest job right now because the financials of Blockbuster is relatively simple right now in this moment. But that actually makes a whole lot of sense. And this is my concern is I go to conferences, I hear people in the real estate space talk about this idea, this idea, this idea. And generally the person presenting it is a very polished salesperson and they're good with language and emotionally they know how to get me excited about something that may not work, like putting a Papa John's in a blockbuster. It was inevitable. And Netflix's end game isn't even streaming. Now they want, I mean, like literally there are, a lot of people in my family who, why would I get ABC, CBS, NBC? It's like, I'm still old enough that that's still kind of, we still subscribe to a cable service. But my kids are like, no, no, we watch everything on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever it is, right? But Drew, you just kind of proved the point. It's like, if I'd have been in the boardroom of Blockbuster and Drew Lee comes and says, I got a great idea. Forget Netflix. Let's put pizza joints and Radio Shack in every single one of our why that sounds good because you could have sold me on it. I think the the struggle is though is leaders like I literally I got a text last Friday from wait from wait you you me. answer texts what Jesse Jesse this is a podcast everybody out there please note that Julie actually answers texts yeah, so when so you, he won't, answer, you won't get me if you email me that's a that's a loss wait, that's when a Lucas Sharan sends texts that don't get answered don't take it personal or anything like that or have to deal with rejection carry on Drew. <laughs> Well, so she sent me this text and she said, you know, I, I find myself not liking, um, having skeptics Mm. in my, in, or pessimists in my organization. I, I, you know, I get rid of them. I, I drive them out. Mm -hmm. And the irony is you need those people around you that says we're going to do what? Yeah. Hang on. The only thing that is preventing us from being made obsolete is the speed of the internet (laughs) hang on maybe we should consider this and and i have to say and i have no evidence that supports this this is just a a thought process that at some point in time you know i have a belief that walmart that that amazon really shouldn't exist um and because if you go back in time what amazon is doing today is they're building these distribution you know these distribution centers across the country to get your items to you faster Walmart already had that. That's right. You know, Walmart had the distribution. They had the brick and mortar. They had the inventory. They had the agreements. And 
And one day a company and a guy named Jeff looks at what I assume is modern day retail and said, there's got to be a faster way. What if we could sell everything? And what started as selling books, Barnes and Noble saw it happen, right? They saw it occurring in real time of, oh, so they're going to send books directly to you? Oh, no. People are always going to want in and feel the book. Yeah. They underestimate it. It's like, yeah, uh, Audible is a, is, a, is a sensory too. But you see these companies, and I think that's where the innovator's dilemma comes in. And if you don't push yourself as an optimist to have skeptics or pessimistic people around you as much as they might annoy you, every decision or failure you make as a business owner, you're going to learn the hard way, the painful way, and perhaps the non-recoverable way. So as a, as a team member, that would be the resident skeptic where the, we like to change our names to the, Hey, have you thought about people or that's such um, an optimistic way to put that's such a positive way to spin that negative thing. Yes. <laughs> also, but these people, um, I highly recommend this, this test for teams too. I'll, I'll think I'll pull up the name here, but um, it's the working genius test. Essentially, there's like six different working geniuses. And one of them is the gift of discernment. And those people say things like, now that's a great idea. Like they can tell you if a plan is going to work, mm-hmm. these people. And so they, and, and they act and present like skeptics because we're always poking holes in stuff. But yeah, those people I, are important. And, and honestly to that, and actually I hope there's two of my business partners listening to this episode right now, because when I'm texting them at 630 in the morning saying, I don't think this is going to work. It's not that I'm against it or I'm a jerk. And they may think I'm a jerk right now. However, it's, and I heard a great definition of discernment, Jesse. It's not, discernment is not the capacity to know between good and bad. Discernment's the capacity to know the difference between good and almost good. Ah, right? Good. Because anybody will like, well, that's a stupid idea. But it's like, that's a really good idea. Radio Shack and Blockbuster is just not going to take over Netflix. That's almost yeah. a good idea. It's just not good enough. And now Blocks, obviously, both those companies are gone. Well, the, you know, the, the other part is when you have those people around you, Mark Cuban said in one of his books that he misses the days when he was broke and he had to prove himself because he said, I would come into a room and I would pitch an idea and everybody around me would say, that's stupid. And he that said, you know, when, when you have that skeptic in your world or that pessimist in your world and they say, that's a bad idea. In a lot of ways, that's testing your internal fortitude and your tenacity mm-hmm. of how much do you believe in this idea so good. to go see it through. And he said, so I would walk into a room, I would pitch an idea, they would tell me it was stupid and horrible, and I would go make it bulletproof. They would shoot it full of holes, I would go fix the holes, redraft the idea, make it bulletproof, and then I would come back in. He said, now... He said, do you realize what it costs me when I make a mistake? Because all of a sudden, I'm Mark Cuban. Nobody wants to tell, hey, Mark, that's a stupid idea. It's easy to find yourself all of a sudden surrounded by yes people. That's what I love about the power of new, call it new blood, fresh blood, or new talent. Yeah. Is half the time, they don't know better. They don't know you're Lucas that has built a massive empire and all these businesses and have these accolades. 
It's the it's the you know Tom Hanks character in Big, <laughs> yeah, raising your exactly. hand in the middle of a man. Such a good movie. Uh, hey Lucas, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> well, at Drew, I you know what I've just been thinking about that because I, I yesterday I spent some time with my sales team in in Colorado in Colorado Springs, and it's just like it hit me. These young, new, brand new to the market agents don't really care of the multiple awards on my my shelves. They don't give a flip who I used to work for or what I used to do. All they care about is what is he saying now? Actually, will that help me make money today? It's like, I, I think that sometimes you and I, all three of us have been part of companies where like sometimes our history of success actually becomes the trump card in an idea conversation. Like, Okay, Jesse, I get it. You're really cute, but I'm a Hall of Fame team leader. So why don't you just know your place? Or I, I, I've got this brand because I've written this book. And so just Drew, just simmer down because, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I think you, that you really lost your humility at that point. That's exactly right. Such a dangerous and, place. Well, I don't know who quoted it. Somebody will correct me. It's like the, the quote that says, uh, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Boy, that is so true. Oh. And, and honestly, one of the things that I learned from this convention is sometimes that we could get to a place of dominance and then all of a sudden it is unsafe to question ideas. And when you question ideas, you're laughed at, you know, ridiculed or ostracized because yeah. it's not that I think you're a bad person. I just don't think that idea is good. And I wish, I wish we would all have a culture where they're really authentically, not just in a soundbite was a high clash of ideas and a low clash of egos. That we could we could combat ideas. That's not personal, and I'm sure Jesse, you 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 you're amazing, Drew. You're fantastic. This has nothing to do with your history of success. It has everything to do with this specific idea. I don't think that, as Ross Perot would say, that dog won't hunt. You know, it's like I just questioned the idea, and that we could say I'll suspend my ego and the trophies on my shelf, and I don't give a flip about them because we've got to move forward, not backwards. Well, you look at the real estate industry as a whole, it's another good example of an evolving, moving, fluid, um, where you have a you have multiple companies that are in innovation, taking the history, what they've learned and applying it to arguably the future. Yeah. And then you have companies that are really stuck in what got them to where they are. And I think in some ways, it's very similar to the Walmart uh, Walmart, Amazon conversation or Netflix blockbuster is you now have, you look at what is becoming more and more attractive, the real estate professional having stock in a company, owning a portion of a company, being awarded shares for simply doing a great job of what they do. And it's becoming more and more attractive, you know, and then you have other companies. I mean, there, there are some major companies out there that have always been publicly traded. Like Remax, for example, has always been a publicly traded company once it once it IPO'd. Obviously, it started as a private sure. privately held company, but once it IPO'd, it's been a publicly traded company ever since. They could have seen what modern day real and EXP and new companies are doing innovatively with stock and being that publicly traded stock shared company. And they didn't change their model. So every Remax agent and uh, Real G, uh, Julie's personal cell phone is. <laughs> what you, you know what? Yes, call me. But what you should really call is your corporate headquarters and say, hey, by the way, you see these other companies offering these things that we could have always offered. That's right. And why aren't we? Why aren't we them? Because we didn't innovate. 
Well, and Drew, one of my favorite questions, you all, you all coaches drive, because I am a coach, I see it coming two miles away as soon as I start talking about a topic. And it's like, I know it's going to be painful, but one of the co- things that a coach definitely asks is, well, how's that working for you? Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. Things aren't going really well. I have this inner anxiety and inner tension. It's not working. Like I'm, I'm, you know, we're still figuring out what we want to be when we grow up. And so I have coaches saying, well, how's that working for you? Well, it's not. Okay. So what needs to stay put and what needs to be jettisoned and what do you need to create? Right. Because it's not working. Why would we foolishly invest our time and energy in something that's not fulfilling to us as people? And we're not moving the ball toward our dreams and our goals. And I think that that's the, I think honestly, sitting in the tension of and constantly with the coach saying, wow, should I continue to be married with what has got me to this level of success? Cause I'm going to guess most of our audience is highly successful people. Cause usually unsuccessful people don't listen to podcasts. So highly successful people that are listening right now. And you're probably sitting in the tension, like, gosh, if you're in real estate, I sell 200, 300, 400 units every single year. Should I be changing? How should I be changing? Should I be blowing this up? Then there's other people that you have a vision of the moment and your vision of the moment is causing you to not ever move the ball. So you need a coach saying, how's that working for you? Maybe you should take one idea instead of starting a thousand, stay in it long enough to make sure it works and then determine, is that what you really want to do? And I think, Drew, I think that that's, that when a coach says, well, how is that working for you? Or some form of that question, it's mm-hmm. like, if I'm honest, like it's not. So do we mm-hmm. double down on what we've been doing or do we create something new and move forward? Because just imagine the world. If Jeff Bezos, instead of developing Amazon said, I'm just going to go buy Walmart. There, there would be, nobody's catching that. I mean, nobody's catching that business model. If, because distribution centers are already there, brick and mortar is there. Yeah. Yep. And if we just delivered a delivery service around that, now I know Amazon's vision is bigger than just being a delivery service, but, but gosh, right. so I, I, I love that conversation and I still sit in the tension. I don't know that we've answered the question. How do I know which red pill or blue pill? How do I know in that moment of transition, when do I double down and when yeah. do I make changes? I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear. In fact, if anybody's in this audience, you go to our social media uh, page and I posted there. How do you know when it's time to change and when it's not time to change other than, you're going broke or other than like, if I'm at the pinnacle of success, Drew, I'm selling 400, 500 units a year in real estate space. And yet I feel there's something inside of me. I mean, I need to fundamentally, how do I know that's not my ADD and how do I know that's vision? Well, and you, and arguably you may not ever know the consumer, the customer, they're going to show you what they want. You know, most great companies solve a problem that the majority of people never knew they had. I didn't know I had a problem that I had to wait a week or two for yeah. a package to arrive until I discovered, <laughs> oh my God, I could have it the same day. Yeah. You know, the search engines and Google, and I could I could just put in a query and get an instant answer. I didn't know that was a problem until I was exposed to something else, but that's what innovators do. So I wrote down this question. When it comes to that innovator's dilemma, do I hold on to what's always worked or let it go and move on yeah. is... Just ask yourself this question. What are you fighting to hold on to that's fighting for you to let go? Oh, the whole conversation. What are you fighting to hold on to that is fighting to be let go? 
Drew, my toes hurt, man. <laughs> Ow. Uh. <laughs> That's great. So good. By the way, Google, Google has really destroyed my marriage. Bobby, if she's listening, because here's the reason why it used to be back in the day that we'd argue and fight about something, you know, some factoid jet streams in Florida or whatever. And because I'm verbal and I'm really good arguer, I'd always win. Now I thought I always won. She did, but now we argue and she goes really quiet. Yeah. She's Googled it and found 15 articles that prove that I'm just full of it. So (laughs) Google's been fun. You two are amazing. I love this hour.